Welcome to Healing Medical Trauma, real stories of healing and hope from survivors and families. The podcast where we explore the incredible journey of resilience and recovery after facing life-altering medical challenges. Welcome to this episode of Healing Medical Trauma. I am your host, Amanda Tento, and I'm going to share my version of the story of what happened last year, which I can't believe that it's already been an entire year since everything happened. When I was pregnant with our fourth child, I also want to preface this by saying our first three children were all born naturally with no epidurals, no anything. The third one, I didn't even have an IV. I just went in, had her, and that was it. So I was anticipating that this birth would be just as easy as the other three. And that turned out to be the complete opposite. However, the other three were also girls. This was our only boy, so maybe that has something to do with it. But who knows? I found out around Halloween that I had gestational diabetes, so I was extremely worried about that. So I stuck to the diet 100%. I did my insulin shots. I did everything to a T. I never, ever wavered from that. Even at my baby shower, I didn't even have any cake. I didn't have anything, but I think maybe some cheese and maybe a cracker, if that. But I was just really meticulous about that. I did end up having more complications than I wanted to, just not just the diabetes. On December 22nd of 2022, went for my regular weekly ultrasound because when you have gestational diabetes, they want to make sure that baby isn't growing too quickly, that he's okay, that he's moving as much as he should. Went for the routine ultrasound and the thing where they monitor the baby's movement with the ultrasound kind of thing, the belt that they put on you. And everything was fine there. Everything was great. Looked good. No problems. I wasn't even feeling sick at that point. We went home, did some things. And then by the evening, I started feeling sick, like I had a cold. And my mom came because I told her that I needed to go to urgent care at the hospital or something. So I called my doctor and they suggested that I go to the emergency room. We went to the emergency room and I kept getting sicker and sicker, just feeling worse and worse. And they did the test for COVID and RSV and flu and all of the other things that they could possibly test for. And all of those things came back negative. So they said, okay, just go home. You're fine. Um, at this point, I was 37 weeks and I think around two days. Fine. Sounds great. Went home. Although I didn't think it sounded great because I was feeling really hard. But they couldn't do anything for me because they couldn't diagnose me with anything. So they were like, just go home, drink lots of water, feel better, rest. I had a horrible time sleeping and I could not eat anything. So... With gestational diabetes, you have to eat regularly at certain very specific times, all that good stuff. Woke up the next morning, which was on the 23rd, which happened to be our 14th wedding anniversary. And I told the girls, I asked my girls to make me my normal breakfast, which was two eggs, hard-boiled eggs on toast with a slice of cheese. 
And that was my gestational diabetes breakfast because I had a specific kind of bread. It's complicated. And then also blueberries. So I couldn't even eat any of it. I physically couldn't eat it. And it was the strangest thing that I've ever experienced. I think I ate two blueberries and I just couldn't eat. My body physically would not allow me to eat. And I also couldn't breathe properly. So I was feeling like there was an elephant sitting on my chest and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't catch my breath. So I told my mom and my husband, I'm look, I really think that I need to call an ambulance because I can't breathe. So I called the ambulance and the ambulance came and took me to the hospital and basically got to the hospital. They did all the tests again. And it turns out that I did have flu A. Went through this whole process of Tamiflu and just fluids and drinking water and doing everything that I could to try to recover from the flu in the hospital while pregnant. The whole point of me being there was so that they could monitor me, make sure nothing went wrong, make sure I just basically recovered so I could go home and then have the baby at a later time. The last shower that I took was given to me by my husband, I think on Christmas Eve, Sometime in the early evening, and I want to say maybe around six or seven. I guess that's not early evening. Sometime in the evening around six or seven, he helped me get a shower because I was just feeling horrible and I had a fever and couldn't breathe, all that good stuff. So he was like, okay, let's just take a shower and see if you feel better. I could barely stand up. I had to sit on the thing. I was so weak and just horrible. I just felt horrible. So around let's see, around 10.30 or somewhere around there at night, the nurse came by to check my cervix. And this was the first cervical check that they had given me since I got to the hospital. So I'd been in the hospital for more than 24 hours at this point. And this is the first time that they even checked my cervix just to see if there was anything going on. And I think I was only the four, three or four, which is not really indicating that I'm going to go into labor anytime soon. It's just my cervix is obviously getting ready to give birth at some point soon. So right after she checked my cervix, she hadn't even taken the gloves off or anything. She was just standing there talking to us. I felt the baby reach down and literally pop my water and I've just felt it gush out. And yeah, he just popped my water and she's like, are you sure? And I said, yes, I'm positive because it just the deliberateness of what I felt. This is my fourth child and I know what that feels like. So I could definitely tell that's what he did. So at that point, it became an emergency because I was not any, I couldn't even stand up because I was so weak. I could barely breathe from the flu. And I ended up getting an emergency C-section. So they prepped me for the C-section. While I'm being prepped for the C-section, someone came in and I really don't remember a lot of this happening after the water breaking. Everything after that gets fuzzy. So apparently someone came in and tried to put an IV in my right arm. And they tried in, let's see, what, two, three different places and failed. And they failed really bad, so bad that they blew out all of my veins in those places. And little did we know that one of those tries actually caused a radial artery blockage in my thumb or in my wrist, which ended up cutting off circulation to my uh, right hand, so my index finger and my 
right thumb did not have any blood flow to them. Didn't know that. And it was something that wasn't really caught until later. So then they, I think, I don't know where they put the IV after that. I don't know if they put it in the left arm. I don't know if somebody else came and they obviously got it in somehow, but I don't know where they put it. So we go to the C-section. The last thing I remember is being on the table in the C-section room, laying there, and I could feel, they gave me an epidural, but I don't think the epidural ever worked because I could feel them cutting me open. And I said, I can feel what you're doing. I can feel you cutting me. And they're like, can you feel us, the pressure of us cutting you or can you feel the pain? Now I can feel the pain. And that's the last thing that I remember. So I had no idea for, I don't know how long, what was happening. I didn't know if the baby made it, if I made it. I didn't understand what was going on. I've had so many dreams and visions and I could hear things while I was not conscious, but I don't know which was real, which wasn't real. So it was extremely difficult not knowing, being slightly conscious of the fact that, okay, I'm either dead and dreaming or I'm alive and dreaming because I don't think that I'm awake, but I don't know what happened to my baby. And I knew that I had a baby and I knew something happened, but I didn't know what, right? I'm going to try to do my best to get through this without crying, but it's challenging. So I vaguely remember waking up. My husband was rubbing my feet. I don't know what day it was. I don't know anything about anything. The next things that I remember were trying to remove the breathing tube from my mouth. I can't, I couldn't, I can't even explain to you what that ventilator feels like in your mouth. If anybody has ever been through it, had COVID or any other respiratory issues and had to have a ventilator, it is the worst. It felt like the end of a field hockey stick was taped into my mouth and there was no way to get it out. And I, it just felt like an eternity from whenever I woke up and realized that this was on until I ended up getting it off. I don't even know when I got it off, but that was the worst possible thing that could have happened for me personally. I was on dialysis. I was on kidney, not kidney, liver function. There was a machine that was doing the function of my liver. I was on ECMO. I was on everything, every kind of life support that there was. I was on, but the worst thing for me was that ventilator because I couldn't talk. You wake up and they're asking you a million questions and you can't even answer them. And it felt years until I was able to get off of that ventilator. I have five scars on my arms, on my wrists from trying to take it off myself. They had to tie me down and restrain me. And on my left wrist, I have three scars from the restraints rubbing. And on my right wrist, I have two scars from the restraints rubbing because I needed to get it out of my mouth. I don't, I can't even, that was the worst part of it. So then finally get the breathing tube out and I realized I can't talk. I couldn't, 
I could barely whisper. The other thing that was interesting is they had me, because my oxygen levels were not, I couldn't breathe completely on my own yet. So they had me hooked up to the oxygen, but it was the oxygen that comes out of the wall. I can't remember, the high flow oxygen. And that is also horrible because it creates this crazy feedback in your head. It's this high-pitched, crazy noise in your head. And it literally, I thought I was going to go insane from this noise because it was just so intense. And it was, I couldn't hear what anybody was saying because of this noise. That's all I could hear was this noise inside of my head. And it was really horrible. Little did I know that being intubated for that long can create other secondary problems. And one of the secondary problems that I had was I got a an infection in my mouth. I guess it was thrush or some kind of infection in my mouth. My entire mouth was covered in sores. So my tongue, my lips, my the outside of my lips, the inside of my lips, the roof of my mouth, all my gums, everything was infected. And I could obviously very barely talk just from the breathing tube coming out. But at this point, it was also still in a feeding tube and not able to eat. So the first thing basically they took off was the breathing, the intubation, the ventilator. Excuse me. The first thing that they took off was obviously the ventilator and then eventually the feeding tube. However, when they took the feeding tube off, this is a whole thing. I'm not going to go into each the detail of each of these because I plan on doing an episode on each of them because I want anyone that's currently going through this to understand what can happen, what to expect. But eventually they were able to take the feeding tube out. And in order to eat or drink, you have to pass what are called swallow tests with the ENT and the speech therapist, which I had no idea that they were even involved in this, but or is it speech pathologist? I can't remember. But you have to be able to swallow without kind of anything going down your windpipe. And if even a drop of anything goes down your windpipe, then you are automatically disqualified and you have to eat thick foods and you can't have anything water, for example. Here you are in the situation where you need water because your body is just completely has just come back from shutting down completely. You need water and you can't drink water. It is the craziest thing. So they're encouraging you to drink water, but you can't drink water. You have to drink basically jello water, which is absolutely disgusting. And it was crazy. So that was a challenge. I was on thickened liquids the entire time that I was in the hospital. And I didn't get off of them until about a week after I was in the rehab center. So that was about five weeks of being on the thickened liquids, which who wants to be on that, right? Nobody wants to be on that, trust me. And I also did not realize that I was on ECMO. I had no idea what ECMO was. ECMO is basically when you, they 
take your blood out of your body and they oxygenate it on some sort of metal plate and then put it back into your body, right? So it's doing the work of your heart and your lungs to keep you alive. So then that way your lungs and your heart can recover from whatever it went through. I, looking back, I forgot to tell you what happened that all of this occurred. And of course I had the flu when I had my C-section. And then I also ended up having pneumonia. And I had an amniotic embolism, which is when a piece of the amniotic fluid gets into your bloodstream and goes to your heart. And I also had sepsis. So my body swelled up hugely. I even have a stretch mark that's an inch wide on my right hip from this swelling. And so all of these things created that perfect storm in order for all of this to happen. My whole entire body just shut down. So being on ECMO, I had no idea what ECMO was. They just kept telling me, you're on ECMO, you're on ECMO. I don't know what that means. I couldn't sit. I couldn't lay flat. I had to sit at a 30-degree angle in the bed. I couldn't move anyway, so it didn't matter. I couldn't lift my hands. I couldn't lift anything when I first woke up. I didn't lift my head off the bed. I was so weak. My phone, the first time someone gave me my phone, it literally felt like it weighed 400 pounds. I could not even lift it up. I couldn't hold it. I couldn't touch it. I couldn't figure out how to work it. It was crazy. And some other interesting things that you don't think about as you're going through this kind of is that Christmas Eve was the last time that I had a shower. So the baby was born on Christmas Eve. That was the last time that I had a shower until I went to rehab, which was, I want to say, around the 18th of January. And even then, it was still a few days of being in rehab before I could get a shower. That is a crazy amount of time to go without bathing. Um, of course, they wash you in the hospital as best as they can, but it's still not the same as actually bathing. That was really difficult. I also didn't brush my teeth because of this mouth infection until I went to rehab. That was crazy, too. I thought all my teeth were going to fall out. I thought, I don't know what I thought, but I literally just thought that I was going to have a whole new mouth of teeth because, first of all, from the intubation, second of all, I normally wear a retainer, so every other night at least I wore a retainer before this to keep my teeth in place from having braces 11 years ago, 12 years ago, I guess. And I also didn't brush my teeth for 30 days. How does that even work? Am I going to have teeth? Are my teeth going to fall out? Who doesn't touch brush their teeth for 30 days? So that was a really challenging part of it too. So let's go back to the baby. The baby was born, and he was in the NICU for five days with breathing issues as well because he was born a little bit early. Not super early, but he had some breathing issues, and he had aspirated on the, what do you call it, merconium, the poop, basically. And so they had to work out his breathing issues. So all the while that all this is happening, I can't even believe that all this is happening, first of all. But my husband is, okay, first of all, Let's talk about the fact that this happened on Christmas Eve. So the baby was born around 11 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve. And then, obviously, my kids didn't have Christmas because they were, I don't even know where they were, 
anywhere. I guess they were with my mom at home. No, I don't know where they were. I have no idea where my kids were on Christmas last year. So I know they went to my sister's. I think they they must have been at my mom's. I know they went to my sister's for Christmas morning. And that was great because we got to get their minds off of things a little bit. They then went to my aunt's house and had some fun times there. But it was Christmas. Who wants your mom and your baby brother to be in the hospital? Not sure if they're going to live on Christmas Day. That's the worst Christmas gift that you could ever get as a child. Santa didn't come. It It was just a really traumatic Christmas for them. And my husband and my mom. And so my husband and my mom ended up eating some sort of Christmas snack together in the hospital on Christmas Day while I while they were trying to keep me alive. And then my husband had to take care of all four of our kids. He ended up taking the baby home by himself, which was great. I'm not I'm not questioning anything that he did because he is fully capable of doing all the things, but it was truly remarkable for everyone involved to see him doing all of these things. He did all of these things without question, without hesitation, without even any doubt in his mind. He took care of all four of the kids. He, there was some crazy stuff going on at home during all of this, our washer broke and flooded the bathroom, and he had to take care of that, get a new washer, all of those things. He had to, the sink leaked too down in the basement, something. I don't know. I don't even know what was going on, but there was another flood with that. He had to fix all of that, all of this while his wife is in the hospital, literally dying. And he is just doing whatever he's doing to try to keep everything together, and he did an amazing job. Not only that, he spiritually led the doctors and the team to know that they could save me. In, I don't even know when it was. I feel like it was in September. We went to the hospital and we met with one of the doctors and recorded a segment for Wellspan for the ECMO dinner. So we recorded a segment with the doctor and he literally said that my husband had so much confidence in them that it's what made them believe that they could save me because he told them that he's not leaving the hospital without his wife or his baby and that they were going to save me. And he just told them that matter-of-factly and they did it, but not because they believed in themselves, but because my husband believed in them and he told them that God was going to save us and that it was just going to happen. Super interesting that tried that way and very interesting. With all that said, there's so many other little tiny things that I want to share with you that happened. And the reason that I want to share each of these things individually in individual episodes is because all of these things may happen to you if you're in this situation. And I want anyone that's in the situation to know that these things are normal and that they will improve and that you just take each single day as it comes, do your best each day to improve whatever you can improve 
it's not going to all come at once. So that's what I want to go over with every single episode topic that I have coming up. And I want you to know that you're not alone. And if you're not going through this and you're listening to this for your family or your friends and you're supporting someone that is going through this ICU or any type of medical, traumatic medical event recovery, just encourage them. Just let them know that today is today and tomorrow will be better. That's the best thing that you could say. Every single day, you're going to improve in some way. I remember every day there was a new machine that I was getting off of or a new tube that was coming out or just just new things improving every single day. And it, there was one day I remember that they didn't take anything out or do anything. And I felt so stagnant and lost. I was going to be there forever. And just that one day of nothing improving or nothing really changing really hampered my recovery a little bit because I just felt hopeless. The other issue that I was going through was with my blood pressure. There was issues with my blood pressure and they had me on some blood pressure lowering medication. And I found out not until I went into rehab, a week after I went into rehab, that I didn't need this medication. And it was the thing that was causing me not to be able to do the things that they were asking me to do. So they wanted me to sit up and bed. They wanted me to do this and do that and move and stand up and all these things. I couldn't do any of it because every time I would lift my head off the bed, I felt like I was going to pass out. And what ha was happening was it was lowering my blood pressure. It was called orthostatic hypertension or where when you stand up or you do anything, it lowers your blood pressure significantly and you pass out. So that's what was going on with me. And they were trying to get me to stand up on my own. And I couldn't because I had that feeling and I just felt like I was just going to pass out. And I did end up falling one time in the hospital because they left me on the whatever, this bedside potty for too long. And I, when I went to stand up, I told them I can't sit for very long. So you got to come back right away. They left me there for 30 minutes and I ended up falling when they stood me up. And it was just crazy. Anyway, so many little stories inside of this one story. But my whole point in sharing my story with you is I want to help people. I want to help you know that you're not alone, know that these things happen, and know that these things actually do get better. The only thing, the only issues a year later that I'm dealing with is my voice is still not back to normal and my breathing. So my breathing is still not back to normal. I don't know why. I've been to the ENT twice. I've been to the pulmonologist. They don't know what is causing this issue that I have. But I'm just working on it on my own. I'm trying to start running to try to improve my cardiovascular fitness because that's the only thing that I can think to do. So maybe I need to seek a second opinion or a third opinion or whatever. And I will do that. But I am just trying to focus on recovery still and just getting over these last couple hurdles of my voice and my breathing still not being correct. So the other thing that I, only other thing that I really still deal with is my my right thumb because it had that amputation. I've got some limitations there. I also have some hot and cold sensitivity. And of course, my arm is covered in scars. My right arm has one, two, four 
seven scars just from my forearm down that are quite big. And overall, I've accumulated more than a dozen scars since through this process of um, everything. So I've got scars on my neck, scars on my arms, scars all over my body from all of the tubes and things that were inserted. But if I hadn't had any of those, then guess what? I wouldn't be here to have the scars. So those scars are proof that God is real. Doctors are amazing. Medical technology is amazing. And you can get through anything 100%. So I hope that listening to this, I know I'm a little long-winded to this, but I hope that you get some sort of inspiration out of it because I tell you I was put here for a reason and I am going to figure out what that reason is. And if it's not helping you through what you're going through, then I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure it out. So I hope you have an amazing day today. Whatever you're working on, please keep working on it and please get through. It's going to be all right.